Hello, and welcome to episode 520 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR, and this is the final solo pod of the 2022-2023 NFL season. It's always a bittersweet time, this final episode of the year, because on one hand, you know, the solo pod is literally my favorite thing to do each week. I, I really love doing it. I really love being brutally honest and vulnerable about DFS and grinding hard to actually win. And then I also enjoy going full unfiltered on jokes and life takes, you know, I don't really care if anyone listens or, or agrees. What I think is funny is not what everyone else thinks is funny, obviously. And that's cool. But just knowing that there are some people out there who think similarly to me, or at least entertained by whatever this pod is, maybe gives them a laugh to brighten their day or, or get their mind off something shitty or keeps them from engaging with NFL fan laundry, Twitter or, or politics, Twitter. Yeah. I mean, that's really cool. Actually, probably the, the coolest solo pod moment of the season was when someone asked about women listening to this podcast. And I said, Oh, I don't think there's any women or many women listening to this podcast. But then a few actually reached out to me, including, including two grandmas, two gilfs, if you will. I mean, just absolutely unreal. I love it. But on the other hand, when it comes to these solo pods, well, quite frankly, I'm running out of jokes. And so that's when you know it's time for a bit of a break. Uh, I will drop in here or there with some solo pods during the off season. We'll have a ton of free pods talking NFL, you know, the draft, free agency, coaching changes, player values, roles, et cetera. I want to do more interviews with interesting people. If there's anyone you guys would think makes you think would make sense for an interview, uh, let me know, DM me or whatever. Jason Strasser, Adam Schefter, Scott Hansen, uh, Phil Galfon, they, they come to mind as some of the best interviews that we've done. But yeah, probably the final solo pod here for a little bit. As for DFS this past week during the divisional round, a really cool four-game slate. I think one takeaway I had was that it's really dangerous, these playoff narratives. You know, even Troy Aikman, everyone's talking about playoff Lenny, playoff Lenny. Oh, Troy Aikman, playoff Lenny. They've been saving Lenny. Well, in the playoff game, Lenny got outsnapped and outtouched by Rashad White. Oh, but but playoff McKinnon. They, they, all year, they've been saving Jarek McKinnon for the playoffs. They, this is who they trust. Well... Jeremy McKinnon's role didn't really change in the playoffs in that first game. Didn't even get a target. Oh, oh but Adam, Adam, Adam. The, the Chiefs were just saving Kadarius Tony for the playoffs. I mean, the dude ran 12 routes against the Jaguars. Fewer than Justin Watson again. Way fewer than MVS and Juju Smith-Schuster, who are struggling pretty badly. So it, it's just hard trying to project expanded roles for players because it's the playoffs. It reminds me of the contract incentive stuff. Like, yeah, the Gronk contract incentive thing in 2021 will stick with people forever because it was caught on tape and it clearly mattered. They obviously tried to get Gronk his incentives. But in a ton of other spots, it just doesn't even cross teams' mind. Teams don't change their plan at all. QBs might not even know. And I think the incentive stuff, the results of it was pretty bad in 2022. One other somewhat related note from the divisional round I wanted to mention was trying to understand what's baked into the market already. A lot of times, I don't think people are really following offensive line injuries, offensive line talent or ability. I, I don't think most people are following that stuff enough to really know what's going on. It doesn't even cross their mind. It's not baked in at all. So there's an edge there. That, that's why we have Brandon Thorne and why his work is so valuable. But sometimes, rarely, but sometimes 
the offensive line stuff goes mainstream and it is baked in. And I thought the Bengals situation last week, by the end of the week, I mean, Jesus, everyone was talking about it. Everyone on Twitter, every fake sharp, every mom who doesn't even watch football. Oh, oh, Adam, Joe Burrow's not going to be able to get off a pass. Oh, 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 Alex Kappa, uh, Lyle Collins, Jonah Williams, they're all out. Ah, freak out. You know, it just went too far. Burrow was only 11% owned on DraftKings on a four-game slate. Less than Brock Purdy, who was 14%. So, yeah, I, I just thought that was an interesting part of the divisional slate. As for cash, uh, I did play a little bit. I did play ETN over McKinnon. I, I just thought that ETN's role was much more solid, and that proved to be enough to get there in double-ups, even though I did not have Kelsey Actually, I guess playing Hayden Hurst was really the difference. Um, he was not owned very much in cash, which kind of surprised me. But that's just the way it is on these smallish slates. You know, one cheap guy getting 16 points at 10% or 15% ownership. Like, that's the difference of the slate. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, I know no one cares about my teams. Um, there are two slates left for both props and DFS. We're on normal content schedule for both conference championship week and the Super Bowl. Oh, oh. A one injury note, uh, uh, industry note, I should address. So FanDuel has canceled a few slates over the last one to two weeks. You know, big NFL slates, maybe one smaller NBA slate. I'm actually not too sure on specifics. That Them canceling those slates, like right before lock or whatever, that's led to a lot of people saying, oh, they're canceling these slates because they, they were going to overlay. And then FanDuel did not want to eat the overlay money there. And... I guess I'm open to that theory, but I just don't think it makes much sense. I mean, FanDuel is owned by Flutter. Flutter is an Irish company which also owns Patty Power, Betfair, PokerStars, FoxBet, you know, tons more. They are a public traded company with a market cap of roughly $22 billion, with a B. It would be absolutely insane for FanDuel to duck 10K, 50K, 100K, whatever it is. It, it, trying, them trying to duck that amount of overlay, breaking the regulations and the community's trust. I mean, I get that's a lot of money to me and you, but this is couch cushion money to FanDuel and Flutter. I, I really don't think that they were doing that. So so you say, oh, okay, Adam, well, what's going on then? I, I would say it's the same thing that's been going on with FanDuel and DFS for the last, I don't know, four to five years. They could not care less about DFS, about improving the product, investing in development for it, anything else. I mean, we've been screaming for nearly a decade that we need a CSV of the contest uh, that anyone can download at lock. You know, it helps for transparency. It helps for study to try to get better. And they haven't even given us that. But anyway, all this speaks to the writing on the wall of the big picture. DFS is small potatoes compared to sports betting. Sports betting. Sports betting is small potatoes compared to iGaming, aka online blackjack, slots, roulette, etc. So just know that's the deal. You know, just know that's the deal. A DFS player is trying to be converted to a sports better. A sports better is trying to be converted into an iGaming player. You know, it just is what it is. Like everything else in life, it's not worth whining about. You can choose not to give FanDuel your DFS dollars anymore if you really want to try to stick it to them. Or you can accept it. It is what it is. You know, it sucks. One thing I know for sure, though, is that DraftKings owning, you know, 95 to 100% of the DFS market wouldn't really be great for the consumer either. Like we need some real competition. So hopefully someone steps up and plays a FanDuel in a big way um, before FanDuel DFS crumbles even further. Okay. Uh, do want to get to those sort of questions, but a few quick thank yous here first. 
there are so many people behind the scenes at ETR. It's actually overwhelming, to be honest. I know you mostly just hear uh, and see a few of us, but what we do would not be possible without everyone on the team. That means all the people editing the videos, all the people grinding every decimal in the spreadsheet for projections, all the people editing the articles, producing the shows, doing written summaries of the shows, doing audio versions of the articles. You know, everybody else, sincere thank you to everyone on the ETR team for a great, great season. Most importantly, though, thank you all, listeners, for listening and subscribing if you did and following along all season. Our number one goal is always just to provide value to the customer, period. If we do that at a really high level, we're going to be successful and, and that's it. It's why we're incredibly picky about what we talk about, incredibly picky about who we work with, incredibly narrow in our focus because we absolutely have to be the best and provide the most value or, or we're going to lose. So hopefully we provided value for you this year. Thank you. We are so, so grateful we get to wake up every day and try to figure out what will happen in sports. And that's because of you. So again, thank you. Uh, two more small things before we get to listener questions. First, golf season is indeed in full swing. Really is an awesome DFS sport. We have the best projections by a wide margin. Thanks to Rufus Peabody and the best project ownership projections by Cody Main and our analytics team. So head to the subscribe page to check out, check out the golf package. Also, with NFL winding down, it is NBA's time to shine. Dink, Gallagher, and our NBA team just grinding their cocks to just absolutely zero every single day to provide the best content, projections, value. It's really wild what they do. So check out the subscribe tab there for NBA if you're interested as well. All right. Enough is enough. Let's get to everyone's favorite portion of the program, the listener questions. Bruce Luke, hit the theme music. All right. Thanks to everyone for submitting the questions. Going to get to about eight today. I'll save the rest for an off-season solo pod. Question one from Todd. After 13 relatively quiet years of parenthood, the dreaded day finally arrived. I walked into my son's room to let him know dinner was ready, and he was in the final stages of masturbating. The timing was horrific as I looked him dead in the eye as he was finishing the job. I immediately slammed the door shut and walked down to the dinner table, I guess in my mind to pretend nothing happened. He joined me, my wife, and two daughters shortly after, and neither of us even looked each other's way. Had I moved past this, and do I have a talk with him? Thanks. Ay, 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 Todd. I'm in pain for you, man. This is a bad spot. This is a really bad spot. I mean, we try to never get ourselves into these spots. This is why we never play deep stack PLO out of position. You know, we just find ourselves in these kind of situations too often. I'll start with this. I get that you're the dad. I get that it's your house. I get that you presumably paid for it. You can't walk into a closed bedroom door without knocking in any situation in life. Bedroom door is closed. You knock. I don't care if it's your kid. I don't care if it's your house. You, you got to knock. It's just one of those spots where there's only downside on the outcome. Like the best possible case when you open that bedroom door is he's doing nothing. He's fucking staring at the ceiling or something. But God, you know, if that's the best outcome, the 100th percentile outcome, think about all the bad outcomes. And honestly, I, I do think that understanding range of outcomes is so important in all, all aspects of life, including the spot Todd describes here. And certainly in DFS, like I think the Tony Pollard, Ezekiel Elliott example from last week is a good one. We have to project Zeke close to the role he's had all year, 
But there's only one way we can be wrong. The Cowboys might just say, fuck it. Zeke can't do anything against this 49ers run D. Let's go 80% Pollard or let's go 90% Pollard. Now, is that a realistic likelihood for a mean projection? No, of course not. But understand the entire range. They all know. If you understand the entire range, I mean, it's so obvious that the upside is all on Pollard's side in terms of usage. But anyways, anyways, we've established that Todd fucked up by going into a closed bedroom door. But as always, we can't let past decisions cloud future decisions. All we can do is take the available information we have now, what's done is done, and make the possible decision, best possible decision going forward. So I, I think so often in life, just being honest and vulnerable as possible, I, I think that's right so often. And people just respect it. So God, you know, it sounds so awful, but I think I'd sit him down and I'd say, listen, son, I want you to know that what you were doing was not wrong, not wrong at all. In fact, I beat my own dick five to seven times a week. You know, don't tell your mother, but just remember to lock the door next time. And then you'll have a hearty laugh, you know, and you'll be closer for it. Or he'll call Child Protective Services. Either way, it uh, seems like a win. Question two for Magic Ma. He says, hindsight is always twenty twenty. You mentioned going all in on New Year's Eve. Curious, do you feel like you made the correct play on New Year's Eve? Undoubtedly the right play, Magic Ma. Uh, undoubtedly. It, it was so, so fucking fun. We were like, um, well, if you guys, hopefully you guys listen, we did a video about it, about New Year's Eve plans. You can go back and check it out from uh, the solo pod right before New Year's too. But anyways, you know, we went to this club or whatever. We were uh, in Miami, uh, in South Beach. We were like up against a little half wall where quote unquote gen pop was, which is actually a ridiculous term. But uh, I actually learned that term for the first time as I'm obviously not really a club guy, but I gen pop refers to people who who don't have a table. But anyways, you know, we had this minimum we had to spend on alcohol and we had absolutely stone cold zero chance of reaching that minimum. I mean, imagine drinking an entire bottle of fucking Grey Goose or something. I'd be in the hospital getting my stomach pumped. But anyway, so we were just spraying Gen Pop with champagne, giving them alk. Uh, it was so great. Then this dude, Marshmallow, comes out. I had no fucking idea who this dude was or what to expect. Apparently, Marshmallow is some kid from the Philadelphia suburbs who, quote unquote, performs with this big ass marshmallow mask covering his face. And honestly, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to disparage or be disrespectful. I get that I'm a stone cold boomtown who doesn't get it. But this kid in the marshmallow hat comes out, middle of the stage, has a fucking computer, hits a button on the computer, and everyone goes nuts. Now, I'm certain that there's something that makes him better than everyone else in the world at pressing that button that plays quote unquote music. I mean, th there's a reason he's worth 75 million according to the internet, which of course is never wrong. But I, I personally, I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Now, now that said, we were dancing and fucking around, you know, until 3 a.m. or so. Really, really was a ton of fun. Was it worth the money? Uh, of course not. It's so outrageously overpriced. But as a once-in-a-lifetime experience in which at age 40, we're actually at the tail end of being able to do things like this in a non-ironic manner, it, it was so great. And I do have to say, at the club itself, like everyone was surprisingly cool. I haven't been to an NFL game in a very, very long time, but I am pretty sure the crowd in South Beach on New Year's Eve was much better than the crowd in an NFL game. I mean, everyone's just happy, you know, not the anger you see with laundry bros at NFL games. The one part where people did start getting a little unruly was late night. You know, it's 3 a.m. 
And we were staying, the hotel was like 20 minutes away from, uh, 20 blocks away from the club, just zero chance we can walk. So I wait outside to get an Uber or a cab and it's just absolute bedlam, like full-blown war. You know, people taking other people's Ubers, you know, cabs sparking bidding war slash auctions, just no rules, like real end of society shit, like, like Mad Max out of control. I somehow got uh, a cab by offering cash, but man, it, it really was not easy. When I got back to the hotel, I was so hungry. I was just like, oh, I'll just walk outside real quick and, and grab some pizza. I, I didn't think much of it. I walk out of the hotel doors and it's like, hits you like a ton of bricks, just a fucking scene, like girls crying everywhere in these tiny dresses, people stumbling into the street right on Collins, you know, people fighting and screaming at each other. I, I'm just walking down the street I'm like dodging, like all these crazy things happening. Dudes are like, hey, man, what you looking for? I got you. I'm like, I I'm looking for pizza, man. <laughs> you know, it's just, it was so wild out there. It reminded me of Penn State at one or two in the morning or, or Manny Young uh, back in its heyday. Just a total absolute zoo. But yeah, I I'm sorry I don't have better stories uh, from New Year's, but I I'm glad we did it. At this point in my life, given the time I have left on this planet, I just cannot afford to check fold in spots like this. I, I just can't do it. I, I just got to rip it in. So I'm glad we ripped it in. Question three from Bosch Paz. He says, moving forward, is it possible to win in DFS without using projections or an optimizer? That's a tough one. I, I think it depends on what games you're playing, what stakes, how much volume, et cetera. But generally speaking, I'd say trying to win without having the best possible projections at your disposal is going to be really hard. That's just like table stakes at this point. That's just the ante to be able to play at a high level. And obviously this makes me sound biased because we have the best projections. We have the best ownership projections, but I really do think that's table stakes. And I don't mean that you need to use the best projections and optimize them blindly. And that's it. That's not what I mean at all. You need to have the best projections that you can use them as a baseline for game theory, assuming you're playing tournaments. You know, what are our opponents doing versus how will the player perform on the field? I actually think this is nowhere is this more evident than in golf. You know, we have Rufus's projections, the best projections. And while golf is an ownership game, even more than NFL, it's impossible to know where the best contrarian plays are or what's good chalk if you don't have that baseline of the best projections to let you know. In terms of optimizer, if you're playing cash, I think seeing the top 10 optimals based on our projections or seeing what the top 10 Josh Allen teams are or whatever you want to see, I think that's incredibly useful. For tournaments, obviously for MME, you need an optimizer. I think if doing single entry or three max, you don't necessarily need to have an optimizer, but it certainly helps. You know, just looking at the highest ceiling teams with ownership constraints, or maybe you lock a contrarian double stack with a bring back and optimize from there. Maybe you compare the product ownership of two tournament teams to know which one is better. Obviously, I think Solver is best for optimizers. You know, Solver is our new tools company. Shout out to us. But yeah, I hope that helps. Bosch pause. Question four from FF Jake. He says, I think you've touched on this before, but what's your take on single game parlays? I've been moderately successful with them since my state became legal. So my initial take on single game parlays, SGPs, was the rake was so outrageously massive and non-transparent that I just assumed everyone was getting crushed, like they're unbeatable. And believe me, most people, almost everyone, are getting massively crushed by these SGPs. And, you know, it's not a coincidence that the single game parlays are the market that the books are pushing the hardest. Like I can't imagine 
what the books are holding on these things. It must be absolutely insane. However, I do think very sophisticated bettors can be SGPs. If you can price all the correlation yourself, if you can understand what the single game parlay should pay out based on your numbers, I, I think, I, I'm pretty sure these can be beat. But that's really hard. I mean, you need to ha- originate your own numbers. You need the math ability to price the correlation. And you need the true price based on your numbers. So yeah, I, I get that single game parlays are fun. You know, maybe, probably they can be beat by very smart people. But generally, I think if you don't really know what you're doing, if you're just firing from the hip, if you're a phone shitter, bro, I, I think single game parlays are almost certainly a negative EV market, i.e. you'll lose even faster than you than you would if you just did straight bets from your phone shitter. But that said, you know, if you're just going for entertainment, obviously single game parlays are fun. It's why they're so popular. That risk a little to have a tiny chance at winning a lot, that model, it's just it's just what people want, you know? It is what it is. Question five from Larry. He says, are you a two-monitor or two-computer kind of guy? Yeah, I think Larry's trolling here. I can't believe that my setup, my computer setup, is so controversial. When I revealed my two-computer to my setup, everyone at ETR thought it was like the funniest thing in the world. And apparently, a bunch of other people found out about it, and they also think it's hilarious. I honestly don't see what's so funny. Yes, I get that the standard setup is one computer, two monitors, and one mouse that goes across both screens. I I get that. I believe my setup is better. So what I have is a really big, nice desktop, a huge monitor. That's my main screen. That's what I'm talking to right now. I love this computer, but I, I, you know, because I love it, I try not to ask too much of it. You know, it it runs the software and the programs that I need. It works perfectly, super smooth, super fast. It's great. And then just to the side of this main monitor, main computer, I have a pretty decent sized laptop. And the laptop is great. When I'm traveling or I need to work from somewhere other than my desk, I just grab my laptop and I go. Easy game. I don't have to redock it, re whatever. I just grab it and go. And most importantly, by having two separate computers, I have redundancy. I also keep them cleaner. In other words, if one isn't working great or has a virus or needs a system update or whatever, I always have the other one. And since I'm not asking too much of a single computer, you know, too many programs, too many windows, too much software on either one, both work great. So look, you can call me a boomer. That's fine. But of all the boomtown things that I do, which is a lot, I really don't think this two computer, two mice thing is near the top. I really don't. Question six from Zap. He says, I live in Buffalo, but I am not a Bills fan. How do I help support my friends who are sad and think the Bills championship window is still open? I mean, Jesus, Zap, just tell them to grow up. Just just grow up. They had nothing to do with the team. They had nothing to do with the outcome. They had nothing to do with using a round two pick on a running back instead of wide receiver help. They had nothing to do with Sean McDermott choking off in these big games again. Nothing, nothing. I mean, Jesus, Zap, you're getting me all riled up about the laundry bros again. I I don't want to go down this path today. I really didn't. But man, letting your life or your mood be affected by the athletic performance of some other men that you don't even know, I, I'm just not ever going to get that. I, I'm sorry. I, I know people hate that take, but I, I just don't get it. You know, please forgive me. Question seven from Ben. He says, if you could know the truth behind any secret or mystery, which would it be? Man, I, I think it has to be the truth about afterlife, God, you know, higher power, whatever you want to call it. There's so many people out there who are so sure that there's a God, that there's afterlife. They dedicate their entire life to it. 
And, and there are so many people who are sure of the same thing, but it's a different God. And so there's this like horrible divisiveness in our society about it. And then there's people on the exact opposite end of the spectrum who don't believe in any of this stuff, think it's all made up, make-believe nonsense. So I, I think knowing the truth here once and for all, not only would it be good on a personal level, I think, for everyone to actually know the truth, but on a societal level, hopefully knowing the truth would stop a lot of wars and bloodshed and hate over which God to believe in or if there's a God, et cetera. So yeah, I couldn't fathom a better use of a one time, let me know the truth on, on this year. I mean, I'd love to know. All right, question eight. Last question we're going to do here today comes from first round kicker. He says, what's one thing you think you learned about NFL DFS this season that you plan to utilize more next year? So we have a lot of data and lineups and takes to look back on and evaluate. One thesis that I have is that playing more of a team play the best plays style is cycling back towards being right in DFS. And just to draw some examples from poker, when poker first got popular, I mean, everyone was so bad. We're talking, you know, 04, 05, 06, 07. I mean, everyone was so bad. No one knew what kind of equity each starting hand had. No one understood position. No one understood the power of raising or three betting. I mean, you could just play straight up ABC poker, make the right play every time, never try to get tricky or overly bluffy, especially on later streets. And you were likely a big winner. Then poker evolved into this era of just relentless aggression. I mean, people realized how hard it was to make big hands and hold them. People realized weaker players were like simply overfolding, playing too tight. So it became a game of leveling. I mean, no one ever had anything. It was just a war to get the last bet in. You know, you three bet, I four bet, you five bet. You know, famous hands that show this are, are the Tom Dwan 8-6 hand against Howard Letter on high stakes poker, probably my favorite televised hand ever. Um, the Joe Chong uh, punt in the, what was it? I think it was like the 2010 or 2012 World Series main event where he six bet shoved pre with eight, seven off with three left in the main. You know, Vanessa Selps had a televised, just absolute leveling war into aces, Perlod Freeman's aces. I forget what show that was on. So all that was going on then. Now, now poker is much more, everyone's just trying to play optimally. You know, not as much leveling, not as much reckless aggression, not as much people playing wild styles. So my thesis, and, and this could certainly be way off, but my thesis is that DFS is now entering that more optimal stage. We had the era back in 2013, 20 through 2017 or so, where just playing the best plays was winning tournaments. Like literally, like cash teams were winning tournaments. We then had an era where the best plays not only maybe weren't the best plays, but they're actually overowned. And then lately, at least anecdotally, the best plays hit at such a high rate, maybe I was being too contrarian in tournaments this year, you know, not playing enough of the good chalk. I don't know, you know, it's just, it's just a theory, but games like this, when you're playing against other humans, there's always going to be cyclical, you know, it's up to us to respond in a smart way. And, and we just have to be thoughtful about what's going on. All right. That is going to do it for the final solo pod of the 2022, 2023 season. Again, I cannot thank you all enough for giving me slash us a platform here to try to help, to try to entertain. Genuine, genuine thank you. If you are a subscriber, we will see you Friday for Establish the Show ahead of Conference Championship Sunday. For Producer Luke, for the most beautiful beast in the world, Jerry, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm -hmm.